So we want to welcome you to the Bridge Church. This is our fully online service this week. It is as it is the first week of the month. Um, and for most of us that are in the Abbotsford area, our physical location is on the lands of the Semiamu, Stalo, and Kwantlen peoples. And um, if you are curious about what, who the, you know, the host people of uh, Indigenous people of where you live are, whose land you are settled on, you can check out www.native-land.ca. And I person we've got up this morning is Myrna. She is just going to share a little bit about her upcoming adventures and uh, offer us, I'm sure, opportunity for community support. Right, Myrna, if you want to unmute, you can take it away. Um, yes, I'm very excited. Albania is my second home. And uh, Sarah asked me if I'd share a bit about what I'll be doing in a couple of weeks. Um, I'll be taking a team of 14 people to Albania. And we'll be coming along a local church coming alongside a local church that I'm connected to. Uh, some of the things we'll be doing is teaching English. Um, English is their way out of the country. I want to come in, but they want to go out, um, not because they don't like Albania, but because it's very difficult to make a living there, especially it was, they were already struggling before COVID, but after COVID and the massive earthquakes, it has made the poor really desperate with the average income being, if they get a job, 500 a month. Um, we'll also be doing stories, games, crafts, songs um, in the Christian Center that we're staying at. We'll be doing some physical projects like building a coffee bar, yay, in the church and building a new stage for the church and a nursery and painting some murals in the nursery as well for the kids and cleaning up garbage uh, in the community, specifically around uh, the Muslim hospital. Uh, we'll also be um, hanging out with the gypsy people. They're the homeless in Albania, and we'll be giving them food, just loving on them and hearing their stories and doing what we can to come alongside the church and help what they're doing there. Uh, I personally will be doing um, counseling because that's not really a thing out there. So when I come out, they use me for that. Um, preaching twice on the Sundays, I'm there as well as doing youth programs, senior programs, ladies ministry, and some staff training. So it's a lot of speaking. So I would really appreciate some prayers for that. Um, we'll also be visiting the Muslim Children's Hospital. I'm praying for the kids and families in there and handing out stuffed animals, making balloon animals. Um, in the past, the officials would chase us out. And the last year I was there, the officials were coming. And I'm like, I'm going, I'm going. And uh, they're like, no, 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 please, please pray for one more. And they took us to this baby that was abandoned that was really struggling and had us pray for them. And so that was, that was very moving experience. Um, we'll also be going to the cancer hospital, which especially after the earthquakes is really struggling. Um, they can't even afford to buy a printer. Last time we got some heaters for the chemo unit, 
So we'll be getting some printers for them, some colostomy bags, and just seeing how we can come alongside of them. Uh, we're also this year, brand new, invited into the Muslim daycare um, to help just the church partner with some of the community people there. And we'll be supplying them with toys and doing kids programs and stuff in there. And the one I'm most excited about is first time we're invited into what they call a residential center. In Albania, when you have special needs or like autism, they don't know what to do with you. A lot of these children are mutilated in Albania, like a limb will be cut off, then they're put on a sidewalk to beg for money with the belief that being crippled brings in more money. Um, those that go into the residential center during the daytime would be spared from that, but they don't get funding because these are the discarded in the community. So we're coming along to help the church set them up, bring them toys, do some programs and stuff like that with them. And then we'll also be doing house visits with a lot of the village people and um, bringing them just kind of the basic needs and stuff like that. So as you can see, this also takes a lot of um, prayer <laughs> in way over my head and uh, financial support as well. So right now I'm trying to raise an additional $3,000 to kind of meet some of these needs. And we're at about 1300 of the 3000. So if you would like to partner with us in helping those in Albania, um, Sarah and Eden have uh, my contact information where you can get a tax deductible receipt. But I would love um, any prayer support as well. No pressure at all. But if you want to help, that would be absolutely amazing. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Myrna. And I'm just going to pray for you really quickly. God, I thank you for Myrna and for just her, the breadth and the depth that she brings to this team. And um, I just pray that you would just give her rest and clarity and focus as she gets ready for this and that she will feel well loved and supported by our community. And um, I thank you for just her place and her voice here and abroad. Amen. All right. Thank you. So we have uh, a new online segment that we started in the new year here called Getting to Know You. And I feel like if this was like Jimmy Fallon, we'd have that little bop, bop, bye. You know, the Roots would be doing some fun little thing, getting to know you. And here we are with Helen Balzer. So, um, Helen, if you can unmute and we're just going to, I'm going to just ask you, uh, we're going to go through a few questions so we can get to know you, get to know faces and places here uh, in our community. So let's see. There we okay. go. I couldn't find the unmute button. <laughs> I know. It's, it's just, you'd think we'd be better at this, but I still get it wrong like three years later, right? Anyway. Helen, if um, I, I guess I've, I've given away the big thing. Who are you? But if you don't mind yes. to share that with us, who, who are you and where are you joining us from? Okay, well, you know, my name is Helen Bolzer and we're living in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan at the moment. 
So that's where I zoom in from. Fantastic. How long have you been zooming in with us? Um, well, not too long, actually. Maybe I started around Christmas. I think my sister invited me more in the fall, but I took a while to work up the courage to ask for a link. So <laughs> it might have been around Christmas, I think. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're thrilled to have you here. Um, you know, we've been going through this series, Blessed Are the Peacemakers. And so we kind of threw out some questions and just wanted to ask, um, how are you connected where you live and with with whom? And and then just like what what brings you peace? So it's just how do you experience community and what, do you have practices or things that bring you peace in your life? Um, well, I kind of struggled with this question because we had asked too very long. So like back in Chilliwack, we had a good community of homeschoolers and a fairly casual home church. And so I felt connected there. But when we moved here, it was tricky because homeschooling is different and, and my kids went back to school anyway and so then we thought we'd be like good Christians and go to church and try to connect that way but it it kind of was a bad experience for us and so you know then yeah I guess the most significant connection um maybe in the past year or so it's been my sister we've reconnected and we haven't always had the best relationship, but she's been a yeah. huge encouragement to me since we moved. And so and is your sister local or is your sister in? Well, she's in actually in Abbotsford, in Abbotsford and she attends in person when it's in person. So, yeah. right. You know, I just want to honor the vulnerability of your answer. Like a lot of times when we are uprooted and we move it is just, it's like, it's, it's more like, even if the move is positive, there's a lot that goes mm. on, a lot that changes and yeah. things are hard. And so I, I just want us, like we met, cause we went back and forth a little bit on this, like, Oh, how can I answer this? Mm -hmm. I don't know that I have like a shiny answer was I think. Yeah. And that really is part of life. And just as a community, I know that so many of us have experienced these kinds of transitions that are really difficult where we're searching for our community and being surprised at the community that rises up, like the reconnecting with your sister, that's beautiful mm -hmm. and unexpected. And it's in the context of this transition and loss. So I just thank you for being vulnerable and sharing. I think a lot of us can identify with that liminal space of transition and um it just really feel honored that you would share that with us do you have any practices that bring you peace mm. this time yes, of um, liminal space yeah um well I really like being outside and so when we moved here we actually got like 40 acres and so mm. I love to just go for runs or walk snowshoe or I garden, or I play with my chickens. And so um, that brings me peace. Or when it's too cold, I'll do yoga. I find that to be fairly relaxing and peaceful. So I think those are, but mostly outside in God's creation. I just find a lot of peace with that, just doing whatever out there. So yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing with us, Helen. And is there anything else, any need to know? Oh, Um, oh. who is your, who is your sister? Oh, (laughs) she's, I can see her smiling there. It's Rhonda Weems. (laughs) Weems, Rhonda. (laughs) Okay. There she is. (laughs) That's my sister. Fantastic. Oh, Oh. there she is. (laughs) Okay. I don't turn this into (laughs) the mental game, but yeah, I know Rhonda too. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're a part of our community here. And thanks for just sharing where you're at. We love Mm -hmm. having you join us on Zoom. And I love finding out really the breadth of our community. So we're thrilled to have you here. And uh, just thanks for sharing yourself today. Really appreciate that. Thank you for having me. All right. I believe we, I am handing it over to Lando and Kathy now. Somebody give me a nod. Is that right? That is right. So Lando and Kathy, if you can take it away and lead us through communion, that would be great. I love how often it is that I see um, in the Bible or, or remembering stories from the Bible, how often Jesus was saying, come, you know, come, come. If you feel burdened, um, come to me. And um, here, when we, when we gather together for communion again, we're getting an invitation to come. And um, in this case, come as a group, come bridge family, uh, come and sit at the table. It's different than having coffee together, but it's also similar in some ways in the community fashion. I want to just read a few phrases and meditate on them before we move into uh, taking communion. With open hearts, we come to the table as we are. Regular, flawed, imperfect human beings. Jesus assures us of his forgiveness. As we come with our struggles, Jesus assures us of his living presence. As we come with our doubts, Jesus touches us with the flesh and blood reality of his life. I'll read the scripture from 1 Corinthians 11, 23, and then we'll uh, partake together. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you drink this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake. Body of Christ, broken for you. The blood of Christ shed for you.
Thank you, Jesus, for inviting us to come as we are to you. Thank you for your open arms of grace. Thank you for uh, pouring out your life for us. For you loved people, even though some of the people killed you. And you keep on loving, and you keep on loving. Thank you for forgiveness when we can't seem to forgive ourselves even. Thank you for walking through life with us. Amen. And uh, let's pray for Sarah as she's going to share with us today. Our Father, we pray for Sarah. We thank you for her. We thank you for her leadership in our community. <clears throat> Thank you for her gifts and abilities. Thank you for who she is. And today as we listen, we pray that we would be attentive and that you would give her the energy and strength to speak and to share her heart. We anticipate um, a good time and some insights that would encourage all of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Lando, Kathy. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, Sarah. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I'm going to give this a go. I had a, uh, it's a, it's a strange couple of um, passages that I get to deal with today. They're all about healing, and as somebody who's had a chronic illness for the last eight years and not been healed yet, I was like, oh, okay, challenge. All right, well, let's give it a go. Um, so here it goes. Uh, I always thought I knew how to wash my hands, like you know. But then almost three years ago, I figured out I actually didn't know how to wash my hands and I had been doing it in a very half-assed way. Uh, so I wondered how I had possibly survived up to this point and why no one had ever told me to sing happy birthday as I washed my hands before. Uh, joke. However, seriously, who knew 20 seconds was a thing? Apple jumped on it and my watch now buzzes to tell me when I've reached the magic number. Um, they didn't care until then, and honestly, neither did I. But now my watch counts every single time I wash my hands. And on the rare occasions that I'm not wearing my watch, <laughs> I can I can often be stood at the sink going, surely 20 seconds is up by now. Uh, oh, oh, yeah, not wearing my watch. That will be it. Um, during those first days of the pandemic, we developed some good habits and some weird habits. And but all in all, when I remember back to the beginning, um, those things were useful for keeping us alive. And washing your hands, pandemic or not, is always a good idea. I was talking to the kids this morning about what they wouldn't touch, what was the yuckiest thing. And then they were all like, well, we'd have to wash our hands afterwards. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Most of us are equipped with antiseptic, antibacterial stuff, alcohol sanitizer, and even just plain old soap. We have all the things to keep us clean and to restore cleanliness when we get dirty. It's one reason that we tend to live to a ripe old age. We have an average lifespan that is way older than our ancestors was. Our aging population develops other issues, but most of us don't die from filth. Not so in the era of Jesus and the society that he was born into. Because of this, the Jews had lots and lots of rules about cleanliness. There were lots of to-dos and also no-nos in the society that he grew up in. I did a little bit of digging into the Old Testament to uh, have a look at a few of them. This collection I'm going to read comes from a website called earlychurchhistory.org. So it says cleansing with water for physical as well as spiritual purity was commanded in the Old Testament. Clothing contaminated by mold or mildew had to be washed. 
Leviticus 13, a diseased, unclean person had to be quarantined outside the camp until their infection ceased. Also Leviticus 13, when the disease was gone, the person had to wash his clothes, shave off all his hair and bathe with water. Diarrhea and urethral discharges meant disease, uncleanliness and the ill person, as well as those all around him, had to wash their clothes and bathe in fresh running water. Semen and menstrual blood were unclean and required water cleansing. Leviticus 15. There were rules about corpses as well. In Numbers 19, it says, whoever touches the dead body of anyone will be unclean for seven days. He must purify himself with water on the third day, and on the seventh day he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third and seventh days, he will not be clean. Whoever touches the dead body of anyone and fails to purify himself defiles the Lord's tabernacle. That person must be cut off from Israel. Because the water of cleansing has not been sprinkled on him, he is unclean. His uncleanness remains on him. This is the law that applies to when a person dies in a tent. Anyone who enters the tent or anyone who is in it will be unclean for seven days, and every open container without a lid fastened on it will also be unclean. That's a lot. These are the, the laws that the Jews knew. These are the laws that Jesus knew. And this was the laws that most of them were aware of and mostly lived by. For them, it was like washing your hands for 20 seconds. It just made sense. And so with that as a little context, uh, this is today's text from Matthew 9. Matthew wrote his version of the life of Jesus for a mostly Jewish readership. And the people who knew about all of these purity and cleansing rules were the ones who were going to be reading this. He's presuming that his readers know what he's talking about. And I hope that that little trip into Leviticus and Numbers has given us a bit of an idea too. So I'm going to read Matthew 9 from the Women's Lectionary version. And I'm going to do the clever thing of inserting myself in the thing. And there we go. So hopefully you can see me and you can see the words as well. So while Jesus was speaking, suddenly a leader of the synagogue came in and prostrated himself, saying, my daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Hold on a second. Lay your hand on a dead person. This man was a leader of the synagogue and he knew exactly what he was asking. He was asking Jesus, a fellow Jew, Jew to come and touch a dead body, rendering him unclean for seven days which would mean he wouldn't be allowed in public for seven days, let alone in any place of worship. He knows it. Jesus knows it. The disciples know it. Even the crowd around him knows it. And Jesus does it anyway. Jesus got up and followed him along with his disciples. Fantastic. Jesus is going anyway. He's going to save this girl despite the threat to his personal cleanliness presented by this act. But that's not all that Matthew wants to tell us about what happens, because listen, suddenly, there's lots of suddenlies in this passage, like suddenly the man comes and lays before Jesus, and then suddenly a woman. So suddenly a woman who'd been hemorrhaging for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his clothing, for she said to herself, if I could only touch his clothing, I will be healed. This poor woman has been hemorrhaging for 12 years. This is her in the picture. See her down the bottom here, reaching up to Jesus. It's a crowd. Can we say anemic? I mean, after 12 years, her life must have been terrible. 
Those of you who have also bled, I know you can feel her distress. I had a hysterectomy a few years back, but I still remember this whole business and what it was like. And to imagine that not stopping for 12 years, wow, that must have been debilitating, uncomfortable and unpleasant. And if her bodily malfunction was not enough, if you layer on top of that, all the rules that she had about menstrual blood and what that meant for you, then those who came into contact with her, like listen to what it says. When a woman has a discharge of blood, the impurity of her menstrual period lasts seven days. Anyone who touches her is unclean until evening. Everything on which she lies or sits during her period is unclean. Anyone who touches her bed or anything on which she sits must wash his clothes and bathe in water. He remains unclean until evening. If a man sleeps with her and her menstrual blood gets on him, he is unclean for seven days and every bed on which he lies becomes unclean. It's rough. And now specific to this woman's condition. If a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, but not at the time of her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond the time of her period, she is unclean the same as during the time of her period. So she's unclean all the time that she's bleeding. Every bed on which she lies during the time of this discharge and everything on which she sits becomes unclean, the same as in her monthly period. Anyone who touches these things becomes unclean and must wash his clothes and bathe in water. He remains unclean until evening. It goes on to tell us that what you do after you've stopped bleeding, the woman has to wait seven days from the last blood before presenting herself to the priests. I'm really glad that's not something we have to do. (laughs) I, I mean, I'd love to see all of you every month. But it would take a lot of time. Um, and I'm not sure what I'd do with all those pigeons. Um, anyway, back to this particular woman. She hadn't, in 12 long years, got to the point of time where she could count off seven days. She had been unclean for what must have felt like forever. She would have been excluded from the place of worship for 12 years. She would have been ostracized for that whole time. She'd never got to present two doves to the priest to be declared clean again. She was a pariah. Anyone who touched her or anything she sat or lay on was unclean as well. Her life must have been, I mean, insert the strongest rude word you can think of. It's bad enough to be sick for any length of time, believe me, but to be an outcast as well? My heart breaks for her, and I imagine Jesus's did too. Back to the story. Many, many people were bumping into Jesus that day. But it is when she reaches out to touch him on purpose that something happens. Jesus wasn't the one that made the decision to heal her. She made the decision to touch him. She was the one who approached Jesus through the crowd on purpose. This was her act of faith. Her hope was that even just touching his clothes would heal her. She knew she was risking it all going out into where all the people were because all the people in the town knew that she was unclean. And by pushing through them towards Jesus, she made everyone she touched unclean as well. I can imagine them all going, oh, shoot, she touched me. Oh, come on. She's immensely brave or just desperate. Maybe those are the same thing. Either way, she worked her way through the crowd. And she reaches out and she touches the hem of Jesus's garment. Probably his pressure. She knew she was risking it all. Um, From Mark, it tells us that at the same moment she touched Jesus, Jesus felt energy discharging from him. He turned around to the corner and asked, he turned around to the crowd, sorry, and asked, who touched my robe? 
Jesus turned and seeing her said, take courage, daughter, your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed from that hour. Jesus restored her. Touching him didn't just stop the bleeding, although I'm sure for her that would have been enough. He rescued her from her life of the past 12 years. He saved her. He restored her. The seven day count had finally begun. She could now go and prepare to go to the synagogue, bringing two little doves or pigeons to the priests so she could be declared clean and then re-enter society. She could sit with her family again, be with the people without making them all suffer because of her and her uncleanness. Her restoration had started with that touch. What a huge moment. Jesus allowed himself to be touched. Her desperation and her faith in who Jesus was made her risk everything. Jesus told her to take courage. I love that. It must have taken all her courage to get there. But she had got there and her courage had been rewarded. Take courage. Your faith has healed you. I will talk about that phrase in a minute. I have a few things to say and a lot more questions. But first, let's finish the story because we, along with Jesus, were just interrupted because Jesus was on his way to touch a dead girl. So back to the girl's story. I wonder if the synagogue leader had hope at that point because of what had just happened to the woman, or if he was just frustrated because this was taking too long, or if he was concerned that Jesus was now unclean because of the encounter and would not be able to complete the mission. He knew the rules after all, but Jesus went anyway. So back to Matthew. Then Jesus came to the leader's house and saw the flute players and the crowd making a disturbance. He said, leave him for the precious girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But when the crowd had been put out, he went in and took her by the hand and the precious girl arose. And the news of this spread throughout the district. OK, one more picture. Let's move myself a little. Jesus reaches out and takes the precious girl by the hand, risking it all in front of the crowd that was already laughing at him. Everyone knew she was dead. The flute players and the mourners were already in full swing with their weeping and wailing. Her father had tossed all propriety aside and lay in the dirt before Jesus begging for his help. This was a high stakes moment in the town. In all that chaos, Jesus reached out and took her corpse by the hand, knowing that in doing so, he was now doubly unclean. Once because he'd been touched by a bleeding woman and now because he was touched by a corpse. But he does it anyway. There is something about Jesus. Their uncleanness, either in blood or death, doesn't infect Jesus. Something in Jesus infects them. They are made clean and whole and restored because of who he is. He holds the precious girl's hand and she gets up. The word is resurrection. She arose and everyone heard about it. Matthew says the news of this spread throughout the district. Jesus does it anyway. And he does it for nobodies. These were not important people. The woman had 12 years of misery. She was an outcast. The girl was a child, a female child at that, not a person in her own right, but the property of her father. Neither the girl nor the woman were worth very much, if anything, but Jesus healed them anyway. And Matthew felt like it was important that we heard about it. Actually, Mark and Luke also felt like it was important that we heard about it. They all felt we should know about it. 
Jesus touched them anyway. Jesus rescued them both. The woman was rescued from every kind of isolation because she was cut off from regular life in the town, from her family, from her friends, because of her condition. And the little girl was rescued from death itself. That day, Jesus was doing what he would be doing for his whole life and through his own death and resurrection. This was his whole work of rescuing and saving the world from everything that polluted, defaced and destroyed it. I I love Jesus in this story. I would love to hear what you see about Jesus in this story. I have lots of thoughts. Um, So what do you see? Maybe you could write in the chat what you see of Jesus in this story. I see Jesus caring for nobodies by taking time for them. Yeah, I see Jesus being a rebel. I see him risking stepping out of what is appropriate to do what is right. I see Jesus breaking rules. Absolutely not concerned with tradition, but with people being harmed by tradition. Mm -hmm. Love has no boundaries. I see him breaking rules. I see him getting himself dirty with their impurity while imparting his wholeness and cleanness to them. I see him listening and responding like he listened to that father. He responded to the woman who touched him. Anyone else want to throw something in? I've got a few more, but I've sat long, I've sat with the story longer than you have. Love matters more. Boom. I see Jesus pausing in his day and his mission to help someone in need. He was probably on the way somewhere, but he pauses and he notices and he responds. I see him willing to be interrupted. I see him demonstrating the realm of God that was there with him to rescue and save and restore. Feel free to keep popping things in. Gosh, I love Jesus in this story. I love his attention to those things. And I love his care for those that didn't count. For them, Jesus did it anyway. For us, Jesus did it anyway. But back to that thing in the middle the sentence that I have experienced and observed as a sentence that is used to beat people up with. Jesus turned to her. This was the sentence in the Bible. It says, and seeing her, he said, take courage, daughter, your faith has healed you. I'm okay with the take courage, daughter. Cool. But that your faith has healed you. It's used meanly. Forgive my repetition if you've heard this story before. Back uh, when I was in my early 20s, my hips went weird. I mean, by weird, I mean, I developed a problem that meant I couldn't really walk. Um, I went through months of injections and physio and all kinds of treatment and eventually ended up with surgery to fix it. Partway through this, I found myself in a physio waiting room. There was a man in the waiting room, um, older than me. I think he was probably waiting for someone. But anyway, he decided uh, to stick his beak into my business. (laughs) He turned to me and he asked if I was a Christian. I said I was rookie mistake if somebody asks you that it's usually they have something they want to say just 
say nothing. Um, anyway, he, I, I didn't, I said yes. And he came at me with a twisted version of what Jesus said to this woman. He told me that I needed to pray more and I wasn't healed because I didn't have enough faith. If I could have gotten up and walked out of there, I would have. I was flabbergasted. I thought of lots of things to say to him later, but in the moment I was stunned into silence. I mean, what the actual? Did I believe that Jesus healed people? Yes. I mean, do I believe Jesus heals people? Yes. Had I asked Jesus to heal me? Also, yes. Had he healed me? Not yet. And eventually a doctor fixed me with his scalpel. Did I have faith that Jesus could heal me? Yes. Did he? No. And definitely not all of a sudden, like in these stories. Let me tell you another story. Um, I am dairy intolerant. I figured it out when my friend was weaning her child. <laughs> and um, and I was reading the symptoms about that she was looking for as she weaned him. And those were symptoms that I had, like all of them. So I checked in with a dietitian who said that, that it sounded feasible, but the only way to be sure was to cut dairy out and see if my symptoms were better. So I did. And they were. And I lived happily without dairy for, uh, I think, probably eight years, uh, maybe nine. I did test it every so often with chocolate because, you know, chocolate. And every time I paid the price. It hurt. Then one Sunday at church, someone said they thought God wanted to heal allergies. So I stood up to get prayer. Uh, I need to back up a little bit. Um, we lived in a village outside of the town where the church was, and we gave a ride to a girl called Bridget, who's a teenager from the village. Um, on one car ride in, not many weeks before this, probably maybe even the week before, she said that she didn't believe in prayer and she didn't believe it really worked. And what was the point of it anyway? So here we were and I was standing up to get prayer for my allergy. Actually, honestly, not very convinced myself, but willing to give it a go. And here was Bridget, a teenager who wasn't sure that prayer worked, standing up to pray for me. The group around me prayed and then someone asked Bridget if she wanted to add anything. And she just said, no, I just believe. OK, on the way home, I tested the healing with a Cadbury's cream egg because, you know, chocolate and all afternoon and evening, everything was fine. Could it be that I was healed? The next morning, though, the chocolate was making a comeback and Steve and Karen prayed for me again and the symptoms went away and I was good to go or not go, if you know what I mean. Um, Bridget phoned and asked how I was. All evidence was looking like I was healed. And it did stick for a while. I've told this story before and I have prayed for other people who have also been healed of it. But for me, it didn't stick. And honestly, that's confusing. I don't know what that was about. I am lactose intolerant again. It came back along with a host of other things. So what was that about? I don't know. I mean, was I healed for Bridget's benefit? I wonder if maybe that was it. It's actually pretty easy to live without dairy, and it's actually gotten a lot easier every year because it's become trendy to drink other types of milk. Was I temporarily healed just so she would have hope that prayer worked? Maybe. I don't know. What I do know is that it's not a good idea to tell someone they don't have enough faith and therefore they aren't healed. I know for certain that saying that is not kind and it's not loving. It is shaming and it is blaming. That woman had tried everything. Mark says she spent everything on doctors. She had cleaned out her bank account and not made a difference to her condition. Coming to Jesus that day was another way of trying. She wanted to be restored. 
The faith that Jesus responds to in that story is not that what she knew of the Torah. She didn't have all the laws all tied down. She was breaking a bunch of them just getting to him. The faith that Jesus sees in her is the action of getting to him. She figured if she could just get there, if she even touched his clothing, she might be restored. I don't know. Is it worth asking? I mean, what have we got to lose? I do know that God heals people sometimes. And God doesn't heal people sometimes. And I have no idea why that is. I wonder if it's about restoring people to community and to relationship. The outcast woman was restored to her community. The child was restored to her family from death. I read in the story today that the girl was raised from the dead. She was restored to her family and her town, but she's actually not still around today. Like she actually died again. Her healing was temporary. Some healings don't stick. Does that mean Jesus didn't make it right? No, he made it right. It's just that she couldn't live on earth forever. But I do think her restoration is a good picture of what Jesus would do in his restoration in healing all things. So there's a phrase that I used a few times through this morning's talk. Jesus did it anyway. Jesus put himself in bad standing so he could help good people. And I think that's what love looks like. In this story, we see Jesus healing and giving dignity, rescuing and restoring. Because this is what love looks like. As well as all my questions about healing, I wonder about love. Love looks like giving dignity, rescuing and restoring. And I wonder if we look like that. Do we do that work too? Are we about giving dignity? Are we about rescuing and restoring to community? Oh, I have so many questions. And way less answers. Um, the mystery of the whole thing? I don't know. I think it's okay to be okay with the mystery of the whole thing. But I do know that Jesus loves us. And he demonstrated it that day in love for that father and that woman and that girl. And I'm okay to sit with that. I'm okay with the mystery. So Jesus, thank you that you love, that you restore, that you rescue, that you give dignity. Thank you that you love. Thank you for this story that gives us hope. And also that you're okay with our questions. And you're okay with our, I don't know how that works. But Jesus, we trust. Even just a little, we trust you. I mean, we're here, aren't we? Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Amen. So I just want to uh, invite us to consider our orientation to each other in the community, to our beliefs about God and healing and the goodness of Jesus. And my prayer for us this week is that 
any ways that we've turned all of this into a transaction, that that would gently shake loose over this week. And any ways that we have misinterpreted or misunderstood um, our relationship, that that would shake loose and that we would just be able to, as Kathy said, lean in to the presence of goodness and love that is found in Jesus, that we would experience that withness, the compassion that Jesus brings to whatever experience that we might be having in life, regardless of the answers and checkboxes that might be able to come along with it. May you know Jesus in the mystery, Jesus in the face of the person across from you. May God go with us. Amen.